I could have a conversation with the Jewish person and I would be offending them in all sorts of ways that I, I just didn't know. Seeking to understand what are the nuances that are going to kind of set them off and totally turn away from even listening to you. I challenge you, change your language for the sake of effective relationship and an effective testimony with your Jewish friends. Well, thanks for joining us and welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your host, Ezra Benjamin. And I'm Carly Berna. And we are a Jew in my case and a Gentile in Carly's case who share something very important in common. We both believe Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And we're here on this podcast to inform you on matters affecting you as a Christian in terms of what you're seeing in the scriptures, but also what you're seeing in the headlines coming from around the world today. And what on earth or what in heaven's name we can say God is doing with Israel and the Jewish people and why that matters to you as a follower of Jesus. We are in, Carly, our second part of a two-part series on common misconceptions regarding Judaism and Christianity. And if you didn't uh, catch the first part of this two-part series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen. Carly grills me. I'm in the hot seat for a few minutes on uh, what is Judaism? Who are the Jewish people? What does that mean? And how is that different from Christianity? And also, how are some ways that maybe Christians would misunderstand Jewish people and Jewish followers of Jesus called Messianic Jews? Carly, today we're flipping the, we're turning the tables here. You're in the hot seat, and I'm going to interview you on some common misperceptions that Jewish people might have of Christians and of Christianity as a faith, as a religion. So uh, let's jump right in. Let's discuss. Well, my first one, we're going to go right into the deep end here because why not? That's what we're here for. So the question is, uh, or the misperception, let me say, is this. You can bless Israel while agreeing that Jewish people don't need the gospel. They don't need Jesus. They have their own way. Uh, speak a little bit to that. Yeah, that's an unfortunate misconception and probably true in some people's cases. Mm. But technically, yes, you could do this if you're a Christian um, of course, you know, we believe as believers, whether you're Christian or a Jewish believer, that everyone needs salvation through Jesus. Right. Um, John 10, 9 says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So that includes Israel and the Jewish people. Um, mm -hmm. So you can bless Israel while agreeing that they don't need the gospel. But really, if you believe in, you know, what Jesus said, they do need the gospel. So mm -hmm. really, as a believer, the best thing to do is pray for their salvation, which we're commanded in the Bible in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, something we say all the time at Jewish Voice. Um, yeah. So really blessing Israel, you can pray for them, you can give to them financially, but they do need Jesus if that's if that's the foundation of your faith. Yeah, that's super important, Carly. I think the foundational question is, what does it mean to bless, right? Like we all know the verse and it's actually the ironic benediction. You know, God says to Aaron, this is the way you should bless the children of Israel. And all of us as believers, Jew or Gentile, know this blessing, right? The Lord bless you and keep right. you. There's a great song going viral around the world right now. Uh, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. So what does it mean to bless? And to bless, as, as I see it, according to the scriptures, is to release the fullness of the goodness of God in someone's life. And so if we understand that God's plan for the Jewish people and all people has always been redemption from sin, redemption from living in eternity apart from him, and uh, a reconciliation, a restoration to him through the cleansing blood of a sacrificed lamb, namely Jesus the Messiah, who the prophets foretold, then we understand that really the full nature of blessing 
releasing the fullness of the goodness of God in, in, a, in a Jewish person's life or in anybody's life is blessing them with the good news of their Savior. And uh, it's super politically correct right now. Even uh, Pope Benedict said, unfortunately, in my opinion, a few years ago, he released a statement from the Vatican. And we've talked about this before. You, the, the Jewish people have their own way. In essence, Christians bless Jewish people. We bless one another and we believe in Jesus, but the Jews have their own way. And, you know, I, I honor uh, the Pope and all the good he's doing in the world and the hundreds of millions of people, if not billions of people that are looking to him for leadership. But I strenuously disagree scripturally with his statement. So blessing people fully means blessing them with the gospel, Jew and Gentile alike. All right. So... Um, Here's another Jewish misconception of Christians, and it's this. Uh, and if you ask most of the people in my family, they'll probably tell you this mm -hmm. is what they believe, even if they wouldn't necessarily readily admit it, this is somewhere under the surface. If a Christian becomes friends with you as a Jewish person, it's to convert you. They're trying to convert you to their religion. Speak to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, most likely this isn't the case. Of course, there's exceptions to this. Um, just like if you become friends with anyone, it's usually mm -hmm. not to convert them to your religion. Um, but convert is an interesting word. Um, before I worked at Jewish Voice, uh, convert wasn't something I'd thought about before. Mm -hmm. But once I started understanding, um, you know, the history of the Jewish people and how the word convert really means taking them away from their Jewish identity, which is mm -hmm. actually what we're not trying to do. We're not right. trying to take them away from their Jewish identity. We're trying to explain to them that Jesus, their Savior, has already come, that they can still be J Jewish and they can believe in Jesus. Um, right. So I think even that word convert, um, just there's an issue with that because it's more about bringing into the fullness of their faith, mm -hmm. not moving them from Judaism to Christianity. Um, of yeah. course, you know, when you're friends with someone, things that are important to you come up. So mm -hmm. your faith could come up, um, a Christian could tell a Jewish person about Jesus, but that's, that's really not the intention of the friendship. Sure. And maybe, you know, some of, some of our listeners are struggling because they are friends or even they have extended family who's Jewish and you have this burden, I feel like I need to share with them. That, don't feel guilty about that burden, first of all, right? Part of being in relationship with another human being is the deeper that relationship goes, the more exposure that person has to what's most important in our own lives. Yeah. And it's perfectly reasonable, even if the person's going to say, I'm not where you're at and we can agree to disagree, or I'm, I even completely object to what you believe, you know, as, as relationships deepen, you're going to want to know what's most important in that person's life as a Jewish person, as a mother, father, husband, wife, uh, single person, university, uh, peer, whatever. Um, extended family member, and hopefully they're going to want to know what's most important to you. And don't be ashamed or afraid of saying, hey, what's most important to me, I believe, actually has eternal consequences for all of us. I think there's a way to say that that's not super threatening, even though it's, it's, it's important. And then, you know, Carly, you mentioned that conversion, and I think this is an important thing for our audience to understand. You may love the Jewish people. If you listen, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you have some sense that the Jewish people are important in what God's doing in the world, or at least you want to understand how that might be true. Um, the danger we can run into uh, in the Christian community is to say, "Yeah, I'm," you know, this person uh, was Jewish and then they converted, right? And 
at first blush, we say, wow, you know, we, we hear that through, uh, you know, and as a Messianic Jew who's been involved with the Christian community for most of my life side by side, I translate that through my Ezra filter and say, ah, they received Jesus. Um, and most of our Christian audience is doing the same thing, right? We do the internal translation through the filters mm-hmm. in our own mind. For a Jewish person, when they hear convert, it means left Judaism and and converted, like actually transferred to this other religious system. And we understand that's not exactly what's, in fact, that's not at all what's happening. It's about a relationship, not a religion. And that relationship with Jesus, the Messiah was, as Paul says, first offered to the Jewish people and also to all people. So if you're listening at home saying, yeah, what's the problem with convert? I challenge you, change your language for the sake of effective relationship and an effective testimony with your Jewish friends. It's a small change in language, but it'll make a big difference in perception. Yeah, I think just that what you were just saying is so important, just seeking to understand the other side. Like there were so many things I didn't know Mm -hmm. that I could have a conversation with the Jewish person and I would be offending them in all sorts of ways that I I just didn't know. I didn't understand that the word convert, you know, had that connotation. So I think, you know, if you are in relationship with other Jewish people, just seeking to understand, you know, what are the things, like you said, the nuances that are going to kind of set them off and totally turn away from even listening to you? Or how can you talk to them in a way that they would be more open to receiving? Sure. And, you know, anything our listeners have said or done in the past, maybe you got an offended reaction from a Jewish person when you tried to share your faith. Maybe you used the wrong words. Maybe you did say convert. You know, what? don't worry about the past. I think the important thing is all of us just becoming better for the future, right? We want to be more right. educated. We want to be more informed, Jewish believer or Christian, um, so that we can have a more effective testimony among the people we're interacting with every day. And so we can understand each other since, you know, we have the most important thing in common, which is belief in Jesus. So good. All right. I'm going to jump forward. So uh, we talked about the word conversion. We talked about Christianity and the gospel. Now let's talk about the symbols involved. So here's a, uh, a Jewish perception of Christianity that I want you to speak to. The image of the cross Maybe some people have it around their neck. Maybe you have a, a wooden cross hung in your in the entryway in your house. Maybe you have one hanging from your rearview mirror in your car. The image of the cross and what it represents is inherently threatening to a Jewish person. Respond. Yeah, that's something else I didn't know. I I do wear a cross around my neck, and I don't think much of it. It's you know something mm-hmm. I was given as a child. Right. Um, but as a Christian, the image of the cross is just a statement of what Jesus did for us, dying on mm-hmm. the cross for our sins. It's just a reminder of that. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't realize that there was such a negative connotation with the cross. Um, and you can probably speak better to this, but from my understanding, there's Jewish history that ties the cross to oppression during the Crusades and the Holocaust. Sure. And so from a Jewish perspective, the cross is like an oppression symbol where a Christian is not really trying to offend anyone with it, but there is an offense based on oppression that the Jewish people have faced. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, Carly. It's, it's for Christians, it's either a religious symbol, which is fine, right, at a foundational level, or uh, for many Christians, including many of our listeners who have that personal relationship with God through Jesus, it's more than a religious symbol. It's actually a reminder that our salvation was purchased by the blood of a, of, of a Savior, of a Messiah. Uh, and we see that and we remember very quickly in our heart of hearts, in our mind, the gospel story, and we're thankful. 
Um, so a Jewish person generally is not going to see a cross on a Christian and, you know, back away and or right. run away and be terrified. It's just understood that's for them, so to speak. It's not for us because it represents a religion, which inherently is not Judaism. The Christians have their thing. They have their God. They have their savior. We have our faith. We have our messianic expectations, if you will, if, if, if you're a Jewish person who actually believes God exists and you believe he's sending a Messiah like the prophets foretold. And so the symbol itself isn't threatening unless it somehow gets into Jewish space or is presented to the Jewish people. And what do I mean by that? Unfortunately, throughout history, I'm thinking of uh, Ferdinand and Isabella in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. I'm thinking of more recently uh, Nazi parades that there was a swastika, but there were also crosses involved in Nazi propaganda. Unfortunately, throughout history, at times, the cross has been used as a symbol to be a rallying cry for systematic targeted persecution of the Jewish people. And because of that, at those times, it was very much a threat. In, in essence, what happened in Jewish psyche individually and for Jewish people worldwide uh, as a result of that was this idea that if the cross is coming our way, it's meant to take something from us, maybe even our lives. So the cross over there on the other side of the street on that Christian person, great. The cross held up for us to see is inherently threatening. And that's why, you know, we're not saying to Christians, don't wear a cross. If it's meaningful to you, do it. It's it's part of your testimony. It's part of your identity. But in the same way that we don't say convert to a Jewish person, don't ask a Jewish person who's just received Jesus, you know, don't get him a cross for Hanukkah in a nice jewelry box and say, hey, here, I got this for you. Uh, it's probably not going to work because the symbol doesn't represent the relationship with Jesus for a Jewish person. It represents a system which isn't for them. So the message of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, according to the scriptures of Jesus, the Messiah, is a message that uh, is something which it was God's heart and intent and still is today for Jewish people to embrace. The symbol of the cross, which Jesus didn't bring in, Jesus died on a cross, but he didn't tell his, his disciples, you should wear the symbol of the, of the tree I died on. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't represent for a Jewish person their faith in Jesus. So again, a little bit of nuance there. It's a little delicate, but again, for the purposes of an unhindered testimony with a Jewish person, understand that the cross itself may carry baggage for a Jewish person and talk about Jesus, the man, the Messiah, not the symbols of the religious system. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. So moving right along, uh, here's another Jewish misperception. This one's a little theological, so we'll try to keep it at a high level. It's this. Christians are worshiping three gods, whereas Jewish people worship only one. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about um, because, of course, as a believer, I think I worship one God. Mm -hmm. um, and it's ironically the same God that Jewish people worship. Um, and if you read, um, in the Shema in Deuteronomy six, it talks about one God. Mm -hmm. That's the, the Jewish God is the same God as the Christian God. It's just that Christians believe in the Trinity, which of course is the representation of God in three persons, father, son, and Holy spirit. It's the same God as the Jews. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just that that God came to earth in the form of a human in Jesus. And then 
that same God left um, himself as an advocate in the form of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. for us who are remaining on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see if you can't quite understand the theology of the Trinity, that it seems like three different gods, whereas Jewish people just have one God, but really it's the same God. Um, it's just in three persons or, you know, Jewish people believe in the one God and, and that, you know, their Messiah hasn't come yet. Yeah. And I'm glad you quoted Deuteronomy, you know, the, the, the Shema, the great declaration of faith for the Jewish people and religious Jewish people actually pray this one or two times a day, if not more. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the word in Hebrew there is Echad. And the word Echad is literally the number one. Like if you're counting in modern Hebrew, you say Echad, Shtaim, Shalosh, one, two, three, etc. But the word Echad in Hebrew can also mean a oneness or a unity. So you say together in Hebrew, you say beyachad. And the root there, if you can hear it, I know there's a lot of phlegm in my voice here through the mic, but echad, yachad, you hear it? There's a, the root of the word for the number one or one thing and unity or oneness. It's the same root word in Hebrew. So um, there, the idea, you know, you'll hear a lot of Jewish people say, well, the reason I can't believe in Jesus is because we believe that the Lord is one. You know, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Olehenu, Adonai Echad. The Lord is one, and they'll quote that. But the word Echad in Hebrew does not exclude the idea that God can exist in multiple expressions of himself. And we won't get too theological. You did a better job than I just did in explaining kind of the three persons of the Godhead, if you will. But, you know, it's not foreign to the Hebrew scriptures either, Carly. We see, right, in Genesis 1, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then I'm thinking also Isaiah. There's this great... Uh, uh, messianic promise and the virgin will be with child and you shall call his name wonderful counselor, right? Okay. So wonderful counselor, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Uh, There's at least two expressions of God right there in the Hebrew scriptures. So the idea of the, the expressions, the manifestations of God as he chooses to reveal himself to men are distinct and yet echad, one. It's just a matter of going a little deeper in the scriptures. So if you're talking to a Jewish person and they say, look, you have your three gods, you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father and great that you're worshiping three, we worship one, unpack that a little. Chances are they've never considered below just the surface of we believe in one God, God is one, that's it. Um, So don't be afraid to kind of push on that one a little bit. Talk about scriptures, about the spirit of God and the father. And, you know, there, there's a psalm that says, do you name, do you, do you know the name of the everlasting one? And do you know the name of his son? Mm-hmm. And we sort of skim over that, you know, when we're reading, but it's like, oh my gosh, what did David know? What did the prophets know? Did they understand something that we as Jewish people need to look a little bit more deeply into? So uh, super important push through the smoke screen of the argument of three gods, one God, when you're talking with a Jewish person and explore it according to the scriptures. Chances are they've never looked at this, those scriptures that way and you can invite them into that dialogue. Yeah, I think another example of that is Genesis 1:26, where it says, let us make man in our image. Right. Which there's controversy about what R means. Is it angels? Is it the Trinity? Whatever. But either way, it's the word R. So, right. you know, our image, our likeness, it's... it's it, God's not referring to himself as R, just as one person. There's something there with the word R in the Hebrew. Right. It's super. I mean, we could go down this road and do a whole nother podcast series. But also, you know, God's making man in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And it says, let us let us make man in our own image. 
or it says in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Wait, wait, wait. God reveals himself to us in a masculine person. But the idea of El Shaddai, that name in Hebrew is literally the many-breasted one. So there's this mothering expression of God. And in yep. the image of himself, he created them, both male and female. Anyway, that's a story for another day. I have not had enough coffee for that one. So we'll have to put that on the back burner for another podcast, Carly. But uh, before we continue with our next segment, which is, you know, here's a real light topic. The church is inherently anti-Semitic, that perception in the Jewish community. Before we dive into that light one, uh, speaking of coffee, we just want to share with our listeners an opportunity they have. You know, Carly, we are uh, super committed to blessing in the sense that we defined it before, blessing Jewish people and their neighbors around the world, even those scattered in uh, countries in the world where you may not have even heard there's a Jewish community and where the Jewish community itself in those countries is being isolated, systematically persecuted, kept back from economic opportunity, no access to health care, etc. And we uh, love partnering with ministries around the world to go reach those communities, help suffering people in Africa that identify historically as Jewish, help hurting Jewish people in Israel, like Holocaust survivors, like single mothers trying to make it work. Uh, if you wanna get involved through this podcast in partnering with us to reach and really bless, bless in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, those Jewish communities through practical help, we wanna give you an opportunity to do that Check it out on our website. You'll find all the details there. A Jew and a Gentile discuss.org is our site. And as a thank you for your partnership, we want to get you some delicious, delicious coffee. And not just any coffee, Carly, but coffee from the nation of Ethiopia, near and dear to our hearts, where we've, uh, through ministry partnerships, been serving for over 20 years among the Ethiopian Jewish community and their neighbors. We want to get you coffee as often as once a month. Uh, as a thank you to you for your partnership with us, check out the details at jewandagentiledisgust.org, and we hope you can get involved. We want to make sure your contributions go towards blessing Jewish people in the name of Jesus all around the world. So uh, jumping right back in to that light topic we mentioned, the idea that the church is inherently anti-Semitic. Speak to that. Uh, if you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I go to such and such church, and a Jewish person says, ah, the church, it's a bunch of anti-Semitic leaders. Speak to that. Yeah, what a loaded question, Ezra. Indeed. Um, well, that's that's how we roll. Yeah, that's the hot seat question, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, when I hear that, I think the church is anti-Semitic or Christianity is anti-Semitic. Um, because mm -hmm. if Christianity was anti-Semitic, it wouldn't really make any sense because Christianity is based on Jesus and Jesus was Jewish. So right. that's like not even logically possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of people see the church as anti-Semitic based on terrible things that have happened in the past. Like I mentioned before the crusades. Sure. Um, but that's, that's not the intent of Christianity, the Bible or what Jesus spoke about. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the Jewish people are God's chosen people from the Old Testament into the New Testament. The Bible is basically a whole story about the Jewish people. If you read it from the first page to the end, not hmm. just from the, in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, so Christianity is not anti-Semitic. It's unfortunate that events have a happen have happened that have made people think that the church is anti-Semitic. 
Yeah. So you're saying, Carly, that Jesus, the son and Mr. of Mrs. Christ, as our friend Jonathan Burnus always says, Jesus didn't inaugurate and found a new religion and then invite Jewish people in if they want? No. Okay. So what, I guess the question then for a Jewish person, the follow-up question might be, okay, if the church is supposed to be pro-Jewish or for the Jewish people, why are the vast majority of people in it? if not almost all the people in it, not Jewish. Like what the heck, what, what happened here? How is this supposed to be for me, but it doesn't look like me and the people who are in it don't understand me. I'm putting you in the hot, hot seat here, but uh, unpack that a bit. Yeah, I think what you just said, don't understand is important. I think us as the Christian church don't have a great understanding of Israel and the Jewish people. Hmm. Um, I know for myself, I didn't until just, you know, a handful of years ago. I think there's a lot of education to be done. Mm -hmm. um, I know I, I focused a lot on the New Testament. I didn't focus a lot on the Old Testament. I didn't mm -hmm. really understand that, you know, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, their story is being told from, you know, the beginning of the Bible and woven all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, I think when when Jesus came, um, lots of different people just like we have now with denominations came and, and took his message and created offshoots and different iterations of it. And now we have, you know, hundreds of not thousands of denominations, mm -hmm. but really if you go back to the original roots of what Jesus was talking about, he was Jewish and he was the Jewish people's Messiah. He mm -hmm. didn't come and then end all Judaism and start, you know, some type of Jesus religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he was fulfilling the Jewish prophecies. Wow. Yeah. And he says, you know, part of the Great Commission is go make disciples of all nations. And the word there is ethnos. So not necessarily like the political boundaries of the nations we look at on a map today, but actually all peoples, all ethnicities in the world. And right. so the gospel was first for the Jew and for all peoples. And because the Jewish people are and always have been and always will be a minority in the world, a gospel that's for all peoples is going to look mostly like all peoples. But the place for Jewish people, the idea of the gospel being in, in the Greek proton, Romans 1.16 says, necessarily first for the house of Israel. Why? Because Israel deserves it? No, we don't. We're a stubborn, stiff-necked people. But because God made promises that he's not going to default on. Right. And so um, there is a place more than just if Jewish people want to come into a new religion, but actually the whole idea was that Israel would encounter her Messiah and in worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua, all nations would be attracted to that light. And so it's it's an important understanding. Um, if our audience doesn't understand that, if your friends don't understand that, and you're saying kind of this uh, ambivalent, yeah, of course God loves the Jewish people. He'd love for them to become Christians. Chances are you're going to curtail your opportunities to really have a meaningful conversation with a lot of Jewish people about who Jesus is and how he came first for them. Yeah, and I would say to our audience, read your Bible more, more in the Old Testament than the amount you've probably heard in the New Testament. There's so much about, uh, like you just mentioned, God's promises to the Jewish people um, mm -hmm. that are relevant today and personal today to us. And I don't think you can fully understand the story just starting with Jesus going forward. You yeah. have to look backwards to see you know, what God did through the beginning. Right. Jesus said, right, I haven't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Right. So we challenge our listeners, 
check out the Old Testament more intentionally. Do a Bible reading plan or something in the next year. I know the books of Leviticus and Numbers are super hard. I get it. Drink a lot of coffee. We'll get you some if you want. More on that in a few minutes. But uh, look, stick with it and then read the New Testament through the lens of everything Jesus is saying and doing is to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything he's doing is fulfilling what was promised to the forefathers and what was held as a deep hope in the hearts of Jewish people for centuries and then offered freely to all flesh, to all nations. So super cool. It's a whole different way of reading the Bible, something fulfilled rather than something completely new. Right. All right. So another light topic, the Christians have their own Bible. A Jewish person's going to say, yeah, the Christians, they have their own Bible. We, we, have our, we have our Bible and they have theirs. Speak to that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, some people know this, others maybe not as much, but the Hebrew Bible, and you can clarify anything I'm saying and cor correct any Hebrew I'm mispronouncing, um, often called the Tanakh, is broken into three sections. The first is the Torah or the teaching, mm -hmm. which are also the first five books of what you're referring to as the Christian Bible, mm -hmm. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, num Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then the next section is the Navim or the prophets, right. Joshua and Malachi, right. which we also have in the the Christian Bible. And then the third mm -hmm. section, the Ketavim or the writings, mm -hmm. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, yep. Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles. Again, in the Christian Bible. Mm -hmm. um, the Christian Bible often divides those into different ways of looking at them, kind of like the law books, which is the Pentateuch and the historical books, then right. Psalms and other wisdom books and the prophets. Mm -hmm. But really, the Old Testament in the Christian Bible is a lot of what's in the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. um, which might just be a misunderstanding like we're talking about. Um, then the Christian Bible has the New Testament, which is the Gospels and letters written to the churches. Right. That's that's the main difference. The, the Hebrew Bible um, is part of the Christian Bible, which is, again, why it's so important for Christians to really understand that part of the Bible. Sure. Super important to understand. The Christians, in, in a sense, you know, a Jewish person is going to say, yeah, they have their own Bible. Again, back to what we just said, the New Testament or the New Covenant, where do we get that language? It's, it's throughout the scriptures, but I'm thinking of Jeremiah 31, right? The days are coming that I'll make a new covenant. It, but it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't say the days are coming. I'm going to make a new covenant and I'm going to offer that to all people. It says I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. So the reason we call that back third of the Bible that we, you know, as believers in Jesus that we have and we count as holy scriptures inspired by the spirit of God written through the pen of men. Um, the New Testament is actually the new covenant, which was the new covenant God made with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob and for all men. Um, but we need to understand our New Testament, our new covenant as believers through that lens, that it's actually the fulfillment of promises made to the Jewish people. And so it's not this separate document that occasionally references to bolster its own points. It's the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And, you know, one of the interesting things to do is if you're talking with a Jewish person, religious or not, and they say uh, the new covenant, the New Testament is the Christian's Bible has nothing to do with us, challenge them to read Matthew 1. Like maybe they have a New Testament. If they don't, give them a whole Bible. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily give them just a New Testament because probably pretty quickly they're going to want to cross-reference and say what's up here. But say, all right, start first book, first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. And it says, this is the genealogy mm. of Jesus, 
and it traces him back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. First chapter of the first book of the New Testament. God, God isn't allowing by his spirit that to be there so that the Christians can have some historical data. He's allowing it to be there because it's a testimony to Jewish people that this is the Messiah the prophets foretold. You know, Moses said, there's a prophet coming after me. Listen to him. He's greater than I. Uh, this is the one. This is the one that Israel's been waiting for, Jesus. So uh, understanding the connection between the two is super important. If a Jewish friend, family member says, ah, you have your Bible, I have mine, push on that. Because chances are they haven't done the research to come with that conclusion. It's kind of a, it's, it's an understanding that's actually needs to be pushed on because it's, because it's inaccurate. I All also right. say yeah, to our Christian audience, uh, you just called the New Testament, the new covenant. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding. This could be a whole other podcast about mm -hmm. that that covenant came and re erased all the other covenants. Right. And I think it's important to go back and read all the rest of the covenants to understand that the story God was telling from them, not just, oh, mm -hmm. we have a new covenant and all the right. other covenants are gone. And therefore, I don't even need to know about those covenants. Right. If anything, it's great to read those covenants and see that um, as we continue to turn away from God, he continues to be faithful. Sure. Um, but I would challenge our audience to go back and really understand all the covenants that God has kept with the Jewish people. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We're moving forward. We're moving forward. Here's another one, Carly. Christ Jewish misperception of Christians. Christian Zionism sees Jews as pawns on an end times chessboard. You Speak can just tell Ezra loved making up that one. That was, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's loaded. Yeah, definitely. And for those who haven't heard of the term Christian Zionism, if that's something new, it's basically the belief that the return of the Jews to Israel and the establishment of the state of Israel are aligned with biblical prophecy. Mm -hmm. That the gathering of the Jewish people have to come back to Israel. That has to occur before Jesus comes back. So that's that's kind of that term. Um, now, I personally don't see Jews on an end time, pawns on an end times chessboard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, some people might, I guess, but hopefully that's a very small minority. Um, mm -hmm. but what we believe is that the Jewish people have an important part in biblical prophecy and right. the return of Jesus, whether Jewish people know that or not. Mm -hmm. Um, a verse that we talk about a lot at Jewish voice is Isaiah 11, um, which is what, uh, you know, our, our, our mission is based on that, mm -hmm. uh, it says, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving right. remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Mm -hmm. So it is the Jewish people have this important part of biblical prophe prophecy. That doesn't mean that they're pawns on a chessboard to us that we're just trying right. to do whatever we can to get them to go back to Israel so that Jesus can come. Sure. Um, God loved Israel. God loves Israel and the Jewish people. Christians should love Israel and the Jewish people as well. Um, yeah. Of course, all believers want Jesus to return and redeem the world. And so they should be paying attention to what God is doing around the world. Um, and another verse that we talk about a lot, which is the exact wording of Jewish voices mission is Romans eleven twenty five, 25, 
Um, mm-hmm. that says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And that all Israel will be saved part is really what we're trying to do. But it's not mm-hmm. because we believe Jews are upon, um, you know, on a chessboard that we're just trying to, to move around. Like you said yeah. earlier, I really like about how can we bless Israel and the Jewish people? It's the fullness of the goodness of God. So mm-hmm. how can we show that to them? That's really what we should be doing, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, treating them as pawns on a chessboard. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think here's the thing. Sometimes, especially if you're speaking with a more uh, religiously oriented Jewish person, you know, who keeps the Shabbat, who really believes uh, God exists, who believes the Torah is the, the commandments uh, incumbent upon the Jewish people to, to carry out. Um, you may get a very offended reaction if you say, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a Christian and I'm a Zionist. I believe in the Jewish people's eternal uh, right to the land of Israel. Uh, they're going to say, oh, you just believe that because you think we're a means to an end. Don't shrink back at that point. And, and here's why. The rabbis also believe, okay, it's, it's, it's prominent in Orthodox Jewish thought, Carly, that the return, the regathering, like you quoted from Isaiah 11.11, the regathering and the restoration of Jewish people to the land of Israel has to happen in order to usher in the days of Messiah. Now, the difference between Christians and Messianic Jews versus Orthodox Jews is the Orthodox are still waiting for a Messiah who they believe has not yet come to earth. We're waiting for the return of the Messiah who we believe uh, with full assurance of faith is Jesus, is Yeshua. Um, so that's the key difference. But the idea that Jewish people returning to the land ushers in the days of Messiah is a very Jewish idea. Don't let somebody paint you into a corner that somehow you're you're uh, this anti-Semitic uh, user of the Jewish people by believing the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that the return of the Jewish people is just uh, a Christian idea. It's a means to an end. Jewish people are being used. But here's what I want to say on the other side of that. It It's important not to divorce the plans of God for the Jewish people from the heart of God for the Jewish people. And you spoke a little bit to this, but this is just, I I really feel like this is important for our audience to understand. The plans of God and the heart of God for the Jewish people have to go together. What do I mean by that in the context of what we're talking about? Absolutely, we believe that the plans of God are to regather and restore the scattered people of Israel, whether they're in New York City or whether they're in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, or India, or wherever they are on the earth, South America, to regather them in his faithfulness to the land of Israel. But here's what we also believe, according to the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament alike, that a day of what's called Jacob's trouble is still coming when a significant portion of the Jewish people worldwide and those living in the land of Israel are going to be cut down. They're going to be murdered for being Jewish. We see that in the scriptures. There's no getting around it. So we believe in the restoration and we believe in a time of great trouble for the Jewish people and for all believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, th- that day is coming. So here's where the heart of God for the Jewish people is important, right? Like you said, and so all Israel will be saved. Has God rejected the Jewish people? Paul says, by no means, in essence, may it never be in the Greek, um, God's plan for the Jewish people is still to have mercy in spite of the hardships that are going to come upon the earth for Jewish people and for believers in Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. His heart is to have mercy. His heart is for salvation. His heart is that all Israel will be saved. And so as a Christian listening, 
don't become super educated about the plans of God for Israel as it relates to your own faith, but resist God trying to speak to you about his heart for Israel. Plans in the heart, carry both of those things in your mind and in your own hearts. Uh, and that alone will give you uh, some of the tools and the love and the care and the understanding you need to have that meaningful conversation and relationship with the Jewish person. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. The heart yeah. and the plans together. Yeah. Okay. We're nearing the end here, Carly. Last couple. Uh, Jewish people tend to remain confused as to why a Christian would want to use their symbols. Uh, a star of David, a shofar, a prayer shawl, uh, a Hanukkah menorah called a Hanukkah on somebody's uh, dining room table at home. All these different things. Uh, an Israeli flag. Why do Christians use Jewish symbols? What's going on there? Yeah, that's a great question. I can see how that could be confusing. It would be like if Hindus were using Christian symbols, I would wonder, you know, why they would be doing that. Mm -hmm. But that wouldn't really make any sense where this, I think, does make sense if you understand it. But many Christians are using um, Jewish symbols because they're trying to understand their historical Jewish roots. So as mm -hmm. we talked about before, Jesus was Jewish um, and the story of the Bible is a story about the Jewish people. So there's kind of this movement of understanding your Hebrew roots or your Jewish roots, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. And I think um, Christians should do that. Like we've talked about a lot today, reading the Bible and um, the Old Testament and really understanding the story of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, so incorporating the Jewish symbols uh, is a way to do that. And I think it just has to be balanced with doing it appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, I think a Christian that wants to understand the feasts, right. um, which are coming up shortly here, and we're going to do some podcast episodes about them, is important and something that they can practice if they want to. So incorporating those Jewish symbols is great. I think the balance is um, when it's when those symbols are start be, starting to be used in a way that uh, doesn't really honor the history of the Jewish roots of your faith. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. I think you, you use but not misuse, maybe, or right. use but don't abuse would be the name of the game here. Um, as you said, getting in touch with the Hebrew roots, understanding that Christians are grafted into that olive tree of faith, which was first for the Jewish people, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, absolutely important. And adapting Jewish symbols to remind you of a principle in the scripture, great. But be sensitive to the fact that Jewish symbols are very meaningful. And in some cases, some are actually holy for a Jewish person. So, you know, if you say, well, what's the big deal? Who cares? Uh, imagine a Jewish person taking a uh, statue of the Lamb of God, right? And the little plaque on it that says, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they put it out on their lawn with some gnomes. And you go, what on earth is going on here? And the Jewish person says, well, they're all cute. Okay, same idea. So now let's apply that. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of an obnoxious example, but I've had a lot of coffee. So anyway, uh, you know, as our friend Jonathan Burnus says, Carly, so often, don't order a Jewish prayer shawl and then use it as a tablecloth because you like the pattern, you like the design. Yeah. Like recognize that these are meaningful, holy symbols. And if you're going to use them, understand how they're used in the Jewish faith. It doesn't mean you have to replicate that, but uh, probably not a good idea to take something that's super meaningful to the people who represent the olive tree into which you were grafted and use it just as decor or, or as furniture uh, to sit on, to eat on, whatever. So something to keep in mind 
in the interest of sensitivity. I'm still, we're all still laughing here about the Lamb of God with the garden gnomes, but I don't know. I can see it in my mind's eye. So, yeah. Well, we're almost out of time here. So we're going to do kind of a, a final question for Carly in the hot seat in just a minute. Before we do that, just a quick reminder. Uh, if you want to get involved in blessing Jewish people, by bless we mean releasing the fullness of the goodness and good plans of God into the life of a Jewish person or their neighbors. We partner, Carly, with over a hundred ministries through this podcast, and those who partner with us on the podcast can be a part of that. Blessing Jewish people and their neighbors in Israel, in Ethiopia, in Zimbabwe, in South America, in Russia, and to the uttermost parts of the earth as we see them and as God sees them. Uh, get involved with us. Details are online at jewandagentiledisgust.org. And as a thank you, we want to get some fantastic top couple percent of the world's beans kind of coffee from Ethiopia into your hands as often as once a month. Uh, you're in the driver's seat on that. Just select what option you want on the website at jewandagentiledisgust.org. So final question for you, Carly. What do you feel has been people's biggest misperception of you as a Christian? Yeah, I think um, the biggest misconception is that all Christians are hypocritical or judgmental, uh-huh. um, which I think sometimes people think who, who aren't Christian or who have n- no knowledge of the Bible that Christians should all just be perfect and you know they sh- they should just do everything right. And so if they see a Christian um, that you know they're not loving in a certain way or whatever, they just think all Christians are hypocritical. Now, right. I will say that Christians are definitely hypocritical in some ways. We we aren't loving in the ways that we need to, but that's because we're all in the process of sanctification. Um, and if you understand, you know, the whole concept of Christianity is that we've all sinned, we've all sh- fall short of the glory of God, and therefore we need Jesus. So um, by nature, we would be hypocritical because we we can't be perfect. We need him to cover all of our sins. So I see right. that. But I also think just the just the stereotype that, you know, we're all hypocritical and therefore, you know, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to be associated with them. That's really the biggest misconception, which goes back to what we were saying earlier of just seeking to understand the other side of the person that you're in relationship with. I think Mm -hmm. if people had better knowledge of Christianity and the tenets of the faith, um, they would understand more, you know, what what the intention is of a Christian and not that just everyone is a hypocrite. Right. Super helpful. I think any of us, Jew or Christian or what, who uh, believe in absolute truth are for some reason, you know, on the, on the dartboard to be, to be shot at these days uh, with everything happening in the world. But if we really believe that the truth we know changes lives and eternities, um, we can't let go of it. And uh, it's something important to remember. And we want to equip you at home with a little bit from Old Testament and New Testament alike of some truth, according to the scriptures, that informs you and, again, that gives you the tools you need, the resources you need to have those meaningful conversations with Jewish people that go beyond misperceptions and stereotypes that you have of them or that they have of you, and that really gets into the meat of a deep conversation about the things in life that matter most. So if you want to hear more episodes or subscribe to this podcast, you can do that wherever you get your podcast. And we'd also love if you go online and leave a review. We love the feedback. We're always trying to improve the content we're bringing your way. Uh, follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. 
or go on a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org to leave us some feedback, find out about more resources we have available and check out those other podcasts. And especially as we mentioned, part one of this two part series today, you heard about misperceptions Jewish people might have of Christians. Check out the misperceptions that Christians, maybe even you, whether you're willing to admit it or not, may have had about Jewish people and get informed. We appreciate you listening today. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. We love discussing these topics and we hope you love enjoy listening. So until next time, thanks for joining us at A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. See you next time. Thanks for listening. I wanted to quickly let you know about a special video episode where Carly and I actually blind taste test the Lost Tribes coffee. So watch and see if Carly and I can guess which coffee is ours among five others. Check it out on our website. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.